Today on Nurse Talk, writer, filmmaker, and social activist Jennifer Nix shares how she saved 90% on her medications while on vacation in Spain. Once again, nurses top Gallup poll as most trusted professions 17 years running. And senior healthcare in America correspondent Donna Smith talks about Medicaid work requirements kicking in in Arkansas. All this and more today on Nurse Talk. Welcome to Nurse Talk. I'm Casey Hobbs, along with my beloved co-host Shane Mason, and we are two of the thousands of nurses on duty today. Shane, it's so great to have you back in the studio. You look rested, taller, smarter. I don't even recognize you. Thank the time you. off was good for you, I yes, guess. Yes, I found myself. Oh, in California that happens. Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> so Casey, it's great to be back, and you also look taller, smarter, <laughs> much more relaxed. We must have been irritating each other. Maybe we should stay away from each other. Maybe it's a good thing. Maybe. No, all kidding aside, it's great to be back, and thanks to the wonderful Donna Smith for stepping up for us while I was away. Shane, as we always say, we have a great show today. We have an in-studio guest, writer, filmmaker, and social activist Jennifer Nix will join us to share about how she saved 90% on her medications while on vacation in Spain, and how the story led her to Bernie Sanders' Senate office to meet his powerhouse social media team. In Casey, Jennifer ended up making a short video about her story that's been viewed by almost 2 million people. Jennifer had a kidney transplant in 2009 and has written extensively about her experience. Before we forget, let's take a moment and thank all of our listeners on the Tom Hartman program, Progressive Voices Tune In, WFTE, Pandora, iTunes, and all our broadcast and organizational partners. I once saved 90% on prescription drugs. Yes, 90%. And I got to spend a week in Spain while doing it. Olay. Here's what happened. After a rough year when I learned I had the same disease my dad had battled for 27 years, I had a successful kidney transplant. And a few months later, my husband and I decided to celebrate by taking a vacation to Barcelona. And an hour after we landed, my purse was stolen, along with $4,000 of my medications. Drugs I have to take every 12 hours to keep my body from rejecting the new kidney. Given all the bad news that we're fed here in the U.S. about healthcare in other countries, we were pretty terrified. We called Aetna, and that's when we learned that they wouldn't cover the cost to replace these meds, and we didn't know if we could charge $4,000 on our credit cards while out of the country. But we jumped in a cab, and we asked the driver to take us to the nearest hospital, and 10 minutes later, we arrived in front of the lovely and modern Hospital del Mar. And in about five minutes, I was in an exam room with a doctor who kept apologizing in perfect English because she could only give me a week's worth of free meds. A half hour after that, we were in an independent farmacia with no line. Corporate pharmacy chains aren't allowed in Spain. This is because after Spain rid itself of the Franco dictatorship in 1978, their new constitution guaranteed the right to universal health care. Their single-payer public health care system is consistently rated among the best in the world. And just like the doctor, this pharmacist in Barcelona kept apologizing to us too because we weren't Spanish citizens and because my insurance refused to pay, he had to charge us the full price, 298 euros. At the time, about $400. The very same drugs made by the very same manufacturers cost 10% of what they cost without insurance in the U.S. America. We need to stop letting these pharmaceutical companies and politicians abuse us. We're here in the studio with writer, filmmaker, and activist Jennifer Nix. We just heard the great story you shared, Jennifer, and it certainly demonstrates the insanity of our U.S. healthcare system and the need for drug pricing legislation and expanded and improved Medicare for all. Welcome, Jennifer. So nice to have you with us today. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. So talk to us a little bit about how this all came to be. 
Well, I'd written a story for uh, Wendell Potter's website, Tarbell, and it caught the attention of some activists in D.C. who thought it might make a good video for uh, the Bernie Sanders uh, powerhouse social media team. And he put me in touch with Armand Avaram. And I had a date set to go make the video, and I showed up. And basically, you just walk into Bernie's Senate office on the third floor of the Dirksen Senate office building, and they've set up a wingback chair. And you sit there and talk directly to the camera. It's basically like you're supposed to be talking to Bernie himself. And they're putting out all these issues-based testimonials from people about health care and other issues. That's incredible. And do they just give you the videos back or do they actually put those videos out as well? Well, you have to write your own script, but anyone can submit a script to the team there. Um, and then you just show up at the office. They produce it. Um, they you know, edit in all this extra archival footage and whatnot. And then it's yours to spread. There are no rights. I mean, they want it to spread as far as possible. So, you know, they put it out on their Facebook, their Twitter and everything. But then you can also have the rights. And that's why you could play it here today. That's incredible. So let's talk a little bit about your insights on the current drug pricing legislative efforts and also about some fault lines developing among the likely 2020 Democratic presidential contenders, particularly around health care reform. Well, as we saw in the midterms, health care was the number one issue for American voters. I mean, and we also saw that over half of the Democratic contenders that were running for offices, even against Republicans, were in support of Medicare for all. But the other bigger number right now is that 90 percent of Americans support regulation on drug prices. Yeah. So that's why you're starting to see bipartisan action. I mean, we've got Trump talking about, you know, listing the drug prices. Not that that's going to do much, but um, we've got Speaker Pelosi now talking about how she's going to be putting forth very strong legislative uh, bills and whatnot, but we don't know any specifics about that yet. And we have a number of 2020 contenders like Kamala Harris and Jeff Merkley, Amy Klobuchar, who are putting forth drug price plans. Elizabeth Warren has prepared a bill that would permit the government to manufacture drugs and sell them at lower prices. And Cory Booker is putting together a bill that sheds light on the pharmaceutical company's fraudulent moves to bilk Medicaid and Medicare. So we've got a number of things floating out there on the drug pricing front, but nothing has really actually moved through the legislative process yet. I have to ask because I didn't know that it was illegal for you to go to another country and buy drugs. So when you were there in Spain and this happened to you, I would think that the natural reaction from you would have been, okay, I'm going to buy 10 months worth of drugs <laughs> and take them back because, I mean, for the price I was going to pay in the U.S. So what would have happened if you'd done that? Well, right now, the Trump administration is cracking down even more on Americans who are trying to import cheaper drugs. But this was, you know, back in 2009, the story that I'm talking about. So we had a very different president. And I don't even know if they were making you declare such things at the border, but I certainly didn't. I I didn't go there to break the law, certainly. Yes. I mean, I showed up in Spain and within an hour, my drugs were stolen, drugs that I have to take every 12 hours to keep the kidney from being rejected. Um, so I had to act fast. And I just, you know, jumped in a cab and asked to go to the closest hospital. And uh, I ended up in a beautiful modern hospital on the beach. <laughs> Incredible. And no no upset. You know, people apologizing to you, speaking full English, and I'm sorry I can't pay for it. I mean, the stark, right. stark difference. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, the doctor is apologizing to me for giving me a week's worth of free drugs. The pharmacist is apologizing that he has to charge me $400 for drugs that cost 4000 here. I mean, I was starting to think, 
you know, I, I'm going to come back here every month to get my drugs if I get thrown off um, health care and I'm going to buy drugs for other kidney patients who can't afford to get here and get drugs. I mean, it's a crazy system that makes you think that way. And your insurance wouldn't cover it. Right. right. I mean, yeah. I had just had it filled in the U.S. right, right. before I left. And then, you know, so a couple of days later, the drugs were stolen. And when I called Aetna from Barcelona, they said, sorry, yeah, it's on you. Now that you have this pre-existing condition, do you have any issues with Aetna? Are you still with Aetna? I'm not with Aetna. I'm now with United Health, and they're pretty tough. <laughs> but you know, I had my transplant, and part of my drugs for the first three years were paid for by Medicare because I don't know how many Americans know this, but in 1973, Richard Nixon and Congress nearly unanimously expanded Medicare to cover ALS patients and all patients with end-stage renal disease. And so all of your coverage for your kidney issues go via Medicare. Well, for the first three years. Only three years. Because once you have a transplant, the clock starts ticking because, well, there are a lot of reasons why. But, I mean, the dialysis lobby wants you wants patients to be on dialysis because that's 100% covered by mm-hmm. Medicare. And, well, I can't speak to their, uh, their reasons other than greed there, but... Um, the, the clock starts ticking at, at the point you have the transplant, and then it's 36 months that you have a mix of payment between your primary insurance, which at the time for me was Aetna, and Medicare. And do you have any advice for our listeners, citizens that want to kind of put some political pressure on the candidates coming up to get involved in the healthcare system and make that part of the Democratic platform? Because I think it's important. It appeals to everyone, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, when 90% of Americans support legislation to control drug prices and 70% of Americans are, you know, asking for some kind of single payer or right. universal health care. I mean, it's on us to keep those numbers high. I mean, activists are organizing people, but anyone listening, I mean, talk to your legislators, call their offices, send emails, um, sign up for the various groups that are working toward this. And, you know, it takes money to get this stuff done. So if you have money to donate, um, that is very helpful at this point, but mainly just get your voice heard. Are you concerned moving forward with uh, obtaining health care with a pre-existing condition? Well, obviously, I'm watching all this very carefully with a plan B to move to a country that has already figured out that health care should be a human right. Well, it looks like Spain <laughs> might top your list. Spain or Portugal. <laughs> Portugal yes. also. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it. We are the last country. We all know this. We are the last wealthy country doing this to our citizens. I mean, nobody else has this weight on their backs. And the minute you need your insurance, you you realize all the problems and all the barriers keeping you from being able to get the health care you need. We need to wake up to that fact. We've been propagandized for far too long. Absolutely. And can you remind our listeners again where they can see the video? Uh, you can see the video on the Bernie Sanders Facebook page, and you can also find it on YouTube. I think if you just Google American woman saved 90% on drugs in Spain, you should be able to find it. Okay. And you can hear it on our site as well, on Nurse Talk site. Great. Anything else you'd like to add? No, I'm just really pleased to have been here. Thanks right, so much. We appreciate it. Our guest in the studio today has been writer, filmmaker, and activist Jennifer Nix. You're listening to Nurse Talk Radio on Progressive Voices. Tune in and all of our broadcast partners. You're listening to Nurse Talk, where laughter is the best medicine. 
claims department, Ernestine Tomlin. Nope, not covered. We consider that an elective procedure, meaning we elect not to pay for it. <laughs> well, it's not our fault you've had two heart attacks. You should have stopped at one. Of course you have your choice of doctor. Do you want the doctor we give you or not? It's your choice. You must think HMO stands for help me out. <laughs> Remember, your health is our business, not our concern. I believe that one person can make a difference, and I try to live my life that way. That's why I'm involved in the California One Care campaign. We're not going to fix our health care system until you, and I mean you, get up and help us. Join the campaign for single-payer universal health care. Make a donation, volunteer your time, recruit your friends and family. You can make a difference. And now is your chance. Do it. California One Care. Full care for all for less. We are nurses, so we cannot diagnose, prescribe, or treat. But listen to us anyway, because we like to talk. <laughs> because of the ratios, the nurses are able to give the care that patients need and not hurt a patient. That we would never want to do that to anybody. Because we go to bed and we wake up with the same conscious every day. And what we do at work, we think about in our hearts all the time. One of the reasons that we had to have ratios was because we were losing so many nurses. They were going home feeling so guilty about the care that they weren't able to provide. A lot of the nurses left prior to the rations. We would go home frustrated, thinking, are we really taking care of them? Nurses were really getting burnt out, so I saw a mass exodus of nurses, and it was because we were responsible for way too many patients. When I was a med surge nurse, a typical assignment on the night shift for me was uh, 12 to 24. And that's unmanageable. Welcome back to Nurse Talk. I'm Casey Hobbs along with Shane Mason, and we are two of the thousands of nurses on duty this very day. And Casey, once again, nurses topped the 2018 Gallup poll ranking of the most trusted profession 17 years running with 84% of the public, four in five Americans rating their honesty and ethical standards as high or very high. Nurses have ranked first for 17 consecutive years and every year except one in the 20 years that Gallup has surveyed public opinion on the honesty and ethical standards of various occupations. This year's poll once again shows that our patients, their families, and the public know that they can always count on nurses to stand up for them, said Jean Ross, RN and co-president of National Nurses United. We witness the challenges our patients face and care for them at their most vulnerable. We are honored to play the role we do as patient advocates. California's historic first-in-the-nation safe staffing ratios, sponsored by the California Nurses Association, took 13 years to win. The legislation has now been in effect since January 2004, despite continued efforts from the hospital industry to overturn the law. Safe RN ratios have been proven to improve the quality of care in nurse recruitment and retention in California hospitals. Now, 15 years later, nurse-to-patient safe staffing ratios legislation has been introduced in states across the country. Here with us today is Gerard Brogan, Director of Nursing Practice for California Nurses Association and National Nurses United. Gerard, welcome back to Nurse Talk, and thank you so much for being with us today. Well, thanks for having me. Uh, pleasure to be here. So 15 years later, and there is overwhelming evidence and academic research that continues to demonstrate patient ratios save lives, prevents medication errors, reduce patient deterioration, and curb nurse burnout. Can you talk a little bit about that? Certainly. Uh, and thanks for having me again. So 15 years' experience has shown us both what on members, nurses relate to us, and academic studies have shown us the uh, 
many and varied positive aspects of the ratios. Uh, one is that they save patients' lives. Uh, 2010 seminal study uh, done by Linda Aiken from the University of Pennsylvania showed that patients in Pennsylvania and New Jersey had a 7% higher risk of dying because of their lack of ratios. They compared and contrast that to the California ratios. So if for no other reason for ratios, that would be enough itself. But they also improve patient outcomes. They also uh, improve hospitals' bottom line. Plus, unashamedly, they uh, are a positive benefit to registered nurses in terms of needle sticks, back injuries, and uh, violence. All, all these three things are major concerns of nursing right across the country and literally actually right across the world. Nurse-to-patient ratios, we've seen through research, the uh, copious evidence is all those factors fall when there are adequate amount of nurses. And so can you give us a little history about California's safe staffing ratio legislation? I remember Governor Schwarzenegger would try to make it pretty difficult. Yes, he did, but uh, it was not successful. Uh, it was a 13-year fight for the ratios. We first introduced uh, legislation in 1993. That did okay, but it was vetoed again in uh, 1996. We put a proposition out uh, that was defeated, not by a great margin. 1998, we introduced again. It passed both houses in California, but Governor Pete Wilson vetoed that. We went back at it again in 1999. Third time was the charm on this. We were reasonable about this in terms of 1999, the law passed, but the law did not come into effect until 2004, hence giving the hospital industry time to plan for the ratios. At that time, as uh, many Californians will remember, we got a new governor, Arnold Schwarzenegger, who uh, came to power claiming that he was not vested with special interests. Uh, we soon found out that was not the truth. One of the first things he did was try and undermine the ratios. We were used to organizing by then. We organized against Governor Schwarzenegger uh, on a lot of levels. We took him to court. We won the court case. And we also lobbied heavily in Sacramento. More than 2,500 nurses rallied on the uh, steps of uh, the Capitol in Sacramento. And that was successful in stopping Arnold Schwarzenegger Ending this uh, patient safety measure. Many of your listeners uh, are on Facebook and other social media. If you look at nurses' uh, social media posts, again, right across this country and literally across the globe, nurses are crying out for safe nurse-to-patient ratios. You ask any nurse in the country who's worked in various states, ask them which their favorite state to work in is California. Uh, and that's overwhelming. Um, they want to do that for several reasons. One, they usually cite nurse-to-patient ratios. They can finally give the kind of care that they entered the profession for. Uh, and also the working conditions. Again, uh, a quick uh, trawl of social media will see a common complaint from nurses is, I don't get a break, I don't get a, a lunch break, I don't get any breaks, I've no time to look after myself. Nurses in California 
enjoy breaks as they should right across this country. And I know in other states they're working on safe ratio bills as well. Can you talk about the status of those and if there's opposition to that and, and who that opposition's from? Certainly. We've tried in several states, including some uh, tough states to bring in such legislation, such as Texas and Florida. And currently right now, our colleagues in New York, the New York State Nurses Association, happy to inform you that they're doing nurse-to-patient ratios. We, as part of our national organization, National Nurses United, had two federal bills in play. We do have a a new uh, Congress, as we all know. That's caused quite a stir in the media. And we're highly confident of reintroducing two federal nurse-to-patient ratios uh, in the next two months. We're part of another group, Global Nurses United, where we've come together with nurses from literally right across the world to counteract uh, the hospital industry, which has sadly gone global. American uh, for-profit healthcare are looking to expand their markets. So we're looking to expand our influence to nurses right across the world. Which is so very important, and I thank you for that. Absolutely. And again, always happy to talk to Nurse Talk, uh, and especially on these kind of issues that protect our patients and ourselves. Thank you. We've been talking with Director of Nursing Practice for California Nurses Association, National Nurses United, Gerard Brogan, about the 15th anniversary of the California RN to patient ratio law. For more information about this, visit nationalnursesunited.org or www.safepatientratios.org. We are deeply committed to fighting for public health and safety at the bedside and also out in the world, said NNU's Executive Director Bonnie Castillo. We see how many times our patients' injuries and illnesses are preventable and understand how connected the health and safety of our patients is to the health and safety of our workplaces and our communities. Well, that music can only mean one thing. The Denver Broncos aren't going to the Super Bowl again. And Donna is available for her segment. Donna, welcome. We're so great to have you here with us, even though your Broncos are losers. (laughs) It's nice to hear your voice. I'm glad you're back. So, Donna, here we are in the aftermath of the lightning strike that hit the Affordable Care Act under the Trump administration, and already we're seeing the rate of uninsured accelerate. We certainly are, and that's a really disturbing trend. You know, when the Affordable Care Act was fully implemented in 2014, we began to see a really steep decline in the number of uninsured people might remember that before the Affordable Care Act we were talking about, approaching 50 million Americans were without insurance, and that dropped substantially almost down to 26 million uh, as of 2016. Well, with uh, the Trump uh, person in the White House and all the changes and attacks on the Affordable Care Act, that number for the first time since the Affordable Care Act was implemented has started on the rise again, which Mm. is very, very troubling because, as we know, it reflects an awful lot of suffering for a lot of people. So why do people remain uninsured? Is it just a money issue only, or are there other factors? 
Well, it's definitely uh, cost is one of the big issues as people find that as their insurance premium rates go up, they're less inclined to be able to afford insurance. And now that the mandate to purchase insurance is gone from the Affordable Care Act, thanks to the uh, Trump administration, uh, now people who before maybe sat on the edge thinking, should I afford this, should I not, are erring on the side of, I just can't do it. I can't afford it when the rates are so high. So it's a combination of factors. It's a weakening of the Affordable Care Act and the rules around it, as well as the costs rising. And who remains uninsured, Donna? Oh, it's, you know, as as you might imagine, the people who can least uh, afford it should something go wrong. It's, yeah. you know, the people who are working poor are among those who often remain uh, uninsured, and they can be people who are sometimes working two or three jobs just to try and make ends meet. And you would think one of the employers or someone would put forward decent benefits for people so that they would have the coverage. But uh, many of these people end up uh, trying to purchase insurance, looking at the cost and saying, I just can't make that work. So the highest numbers tend to be in uh, Latino uh, communities, more in African-American communities. But again, that reflects where we see the highest levels of poverty for all the reasons we all know in our society. So we just have a terrible time, apparently, making sure that we see health care as a human right and applying it to everyone. And how is this affecting health care access? Well, we can imagine that a lot of people who don't have insurance, you know, make the decision early on not to go to the doctor, not to go seek care when they're hurt or when they suspect there might be something serious going on. And I don't know about all of your communities in California, but we are seeing a huge surge here in Colorado in viruses and all the things that happen in the wintertime, flu bugs and all the things that happen when folks are close inside with each other a lot. And, you know, people are deciding not to go to the doctor. I won't go until I'm very ill or where I'm having a huge fever or spread it to a lot of other people working. So it affects everything from individuals and their suffering and then ultimately needing more expensive care once they get there to people who are spreading illness and, and germs out into the wider community. It's also a public health issue. Talk about the financial implications of being uninsured. Well, my goodness, folks who know my story know that uh, even with insurance, we ended up bankrupt. But the, the folks who have no insurance, one illness, just one illness, can be the difference between financial ruin and being where you're at today. You end up in the emergency room for one stretch, and you end up with a bill of ten or 15 or 20000 or more. That can be devastating to a family's finances. The sooner we uh, get to some sane level of coverage for everybody through a Medicare for All program, the better off we will all be in this country. And what can our listeners do? Push hard. You know, we have a new uh, makeup of the House of Representatives has people in it who actually want to hold hearings on Medicare for All and make sure that we're getting that option out there in front of the American public even more. We, for the first time, have a majority of Americans, not just a majority of one political party or the other, but a majority of Americans support moving to a social insurance Medicare for All kind of program. The House of Representatives wants to hold hearings on this, So talk to your House of Representatives member, call their office, demand that they be a part of that work going on to make sure that we move forward.
Yeah. And Donna, this thing about pre-existing conditions that just occurred in Texas, does this affect people like you in other states? Not yet it doesn't. You know, that's the fear for every one of us. Yes. You know, I just paid my insurance premium just a few days ago, and now I'm on this grand countdown. I have 10 months to go until I'm old enough to age into Medicare. So I just hold my breath. So not yet, but all of us need to stay very vigilant about contacting our elected officials and saying, we want Medicare for all because it's going to be too late for many people if we let it go much longer in the direction that the Trump administration is going. His wall is a distraction, folks. That's a distraction from all the other damage being done to all other areas, including health policy. So we have to stay well informed, and I'm so glad Nurse Talk keeps a focus on these issues, because if we don't, we are going to lose sight, and we're going to lose even more ground, and we can't stand to do that. The cheery news is that Medicare for All is on the table in our United States Congress, and it's up to we the people to make sure that now that it's on the table that it becomes the main dish and that we achieve it in this congressional session. Let's do this, everybody. We can do it for one another. That's so true. And Donna, didn't you feel so good on Thursday when you saw the picture of the new Congress? I mean, it's so full of women and color. I just, it, it warmed my heart. It was just fabulous. And we have needed that for a while to see Congress more reflect what we are as a country and younger people. Thank goodness it is awesome. All right. We've been talking with Nurse Talk senior correspondent and contributor to Healthcare in America, Donna Smith. For more information about these topics, visit nursetalksite.com. That's it for today. Thanks for listening. And thank you to our executive producer, Patty Lockard. Sound design and engineering, June Miller and JMC Sound. Taylor Lockard Research. And National Nurses United and all the nurses on duty today. And of course, our listeners and guests. Take care and visit us at nursetalksite.com or like our Facebook page at Nurse Talk.